Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and if you remember, we have been ascending the mountaintop, we've been climbing Mount Everest, and as many have put it, Romans is kind of a great mountain in the New Testament, and then Romans chapter 8 is like Mount Everest, so we're, we're going up, and we keep going higher and higher and higher, and the higher you get, the more glory you can see, amen? So that's what we're going to do, we're going to keep ascending the mountain. So let's come before the Lord and and ask His blessing on the Word. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before You now, Lord, and as we are ascending the Mount Everest of Your revealed truth, Lord, this is a glorious, life-giving Word. It's a sobering Word. It's a call to action. But it's a call to marvel in the great work that You have done. And I thank You, Father, that we have the privilege of diving deep into Romans 8 and getting help, Lord, getting encouragement. And as Christians, we live in a world just filled with darkness. We live in a world that is a battle zone in many ways. We live in a world where the the world and the flesh and the devil are seeking to encroach on everything we do. We have an enemy without in Satan and his demonic forces, and we have the enemy of sin indwelling. And so we need the help of Romans 8. We need the spirit of life entering in. We pray that your spirit would come upon us now, Lord, that this would not just be uh, more information, but it would be life-transforming information, that it would be truth for life. And I pray that Your Spirit would come upon each of our hearts and give us the help that we need. I pray that where there's pockets of resistance in our soul, Lord, that You would break it down, that we might yield to the work of the Spirit. Where there's sin just uh, ensnaring and entangling us, Lord, that we would get out of the web of its deceit by the strength of the Spirit. Where we have felt just so alone, and discouraged, may we know that we have a helper who comes alongside us. And Father, we pray that as we come before this text, that we would just behold you in all your glory and your great work of redemption and what it means for us today to live the Christian life. Please help us now. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Well, about... uh, I think it was about 10 years ago now, um, we, we used to live in Oldham County, and we lived right across from a farm, that old Waldeck Mansion farm, and so it was our first kind of foray into a little bit more, you know, into a rural context. I mean, Crestwood is still very, got a, a, a lot of stuff going on there, but it was our first time living around a farm. And I remember one evening, Clarissa and I, you know, were watching a movie in our room, and we were enjoying it. We were totally engrossed in this movie, just, you know, on pins and needles, wondering what was going to happen next. And all of a sudden, 
I see my wife kind of turn and look, and she noticed something. She detected some movement of some kind, you know, in the house. And she, she, she kind of shrieks, you know, and she's like, I saw something. And so now I'm like, you know, trying to get in that world of like, okay, is there an intruder in the home? What's going on? And so we're looking around and we don't really see anything. And a few minutes go by and we're like, well, maybe, maybe we were just seeing things or something like that. And so for about, you know, three or four minutes of investigation, we didn't yield any kind of like, you know, invader or anything like that. And so I just thought, I'm going to give it one last look, you know. And so I look over out of the corner of my eye and I see this black streak just run across the floor. And it was a mouse. And, and I look at Clarissa, and we looked at each other like, we have mice, you know? And so we go through the whole house, and we're like opening drawers, we're opening cabinets, and we're seeing little pellet droppings everywhere. And it's like, these mice have overtaken our whole house. You know, like we had intruders in every room. We had evidences of, you know, attack afoot going on. And so it's like, we, we knew, like, it was war. And I was not going to be like, you know, I, I was not going to let our house be overrun by these mice, you know. So I got, I had to get ruthless, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to buy glue traps, I'm going to get the peanut butter out, I'm going to get, you know, the regular mouse traps, we'll try poison pellets, we'll do all of that. And I could not like maybe I got one or two, but it was a losing battle and it looked like more were appearing every day. So finally I'm like, we need to we need to do something. We need to get tactical here and we need to like make some serious warfare on, on these mice. And so I remember like calling the pest control, figuring out like a game plan, and they're like, What you need to do is you need to find the points of entry. And then you need to get, you know, the poison pellets, put it there put it in areas that you know they're coming in and get sort of tactical with where you're placing it because I was just placing it all over the house, you know. And so they're like little cracks, you know, in the wall or, you know, corners or anywhere where there's just a small mouth opening or something like that, that's where you want to put it. And if you've seen them scurry somewhere, you know, deploy some, some units there for attack sort of thing. So that's what I ended up doing. And I had to just make, I had to think in my mind, like I was not going to let a single one of them live. It's kill or be killed, you know? So, and, and ultimately we're, we're entering into a place in Romans where the apostle Paul is going to make the same claim about sin. He's going to say what the famous Puritan John Owen said so long ago. If you are not killing sin, sin will be killing you. If you are not making war on sin, sin will be taking you over to destroy you, to ravage you. And it's not going to be cute little invaders, you know. It's going to be a sense in which sin is always trying to work itself out to more slavery in your life, to more control, to more domination. So much like the critters spread all over my house, that's how sin wants to operate and get its tentacles in every area of your life. And so Paul, in the book of Romans, is going to give us some help 
because he's been laying out what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live a life in the spirit, being set free by the spirit of life in Christ. And now for the first time in Romans, he's going to give us some divinely inspired implications of just what it means to have the spirit of God inside of you. So if you want to look with me at Romans chapter eight, and we're going to see ultimately the first 11 verses, this is who you are in Christ, right? No condemnation in Christ. Verse one. The spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Verse 2, Christ is your substitutionary sacrifice who was crucified on a cross, bearing the wrath that you deserve for sin. Condemned in your place, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement might be fulfilled in you. That's verses 3 and 4. And then we looked at the, the spirit and the flesh. There's only two mindsets, right? And the mindset of Christians is the mindset of the Spirit. And last week, we saw in verses 9 to 11, this resurrection power. The fact that the Spirit of God indwells Christians is a sign that they are truly saved and is the hallmark of Christianity. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not in Christ. And then finally, Soaring in verse 11 to the promise that the presence of the Spirit is the presence of resurrection life that will one day bring you out of the grave. It doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better than knowing that He will take us from no condemnation to no separation to new resurrection bodies in glory. And then we get to verse 12, which is our text, 12 and 13, just two verses today, just pregnant with truth. So then, brothers, it's like he's saying in light of this, brothers, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will what? Live. And did you notice that violent language? If by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. So this isn't just like, you know, Peter having a bad day and he's using like violent language up in the pulpit. This is like gospel words to us, reminding us that it's kill or be killed. That in the fight of sin, against sin, and in pursuing your holiness and pursuing sanctification, there needs to be vigilance. There's a call to action. That's why he's saying in verse 12, so then, brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christians. So then, in light of this, we're going to live a different way. And it's not a passive Christianity that's snoozing peacefully asleep while darkness is afoot all over the world and the intruders in our own heart of indwelling sin, those, those pockets of resistance within us just run amok. No, it's looking at our lives, looking for the entry points, looking for where the battle is really at. And living in the power of the Spirit 
in a way that kills sin, crucifies the flesh and its desires. And you're like, well, maybe, maybe the Apostle Paul here is like, this is just like him getting a little out of hand, you know? He's talking all this violent talk. Jesus talked like that too. In fact, Jesus said things that were more stark, right? What does he say? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He's not like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about that eye thing, you know? Like, he's like, gouge it out lest you go to hell. He says, if you don't fight against sin, you'll end up in hell. Now, we're going to get to, I want to table that question that may be in your mind like, oh, well, is it what we do that gets us into heaven? Perhaps it's more a demonstration of what has happened in our hearts. If we're living a life vigilant in pursuing holiness and fighting sin, it demonstrates who we believe in. It demonstrates who we are as Christians, and it demonstrates the Spirit at work in us. That's a little preview for later. Ultimately, we see here in these two verses a blueprint for how to fight sin and kill it in our lives. And there's nothing that brings more misery in marriages. There's nothing that brings more misery in our personal lives, in our relationships, at our work environments, and in deep within our own hearts than sin and its effects on those we love. So this warfare is not directed at other people. It's directed at sin inside of us. It's directed at sin in our lives. It's directed at, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vigilance to fight the battle against indwelling sin in our lives. And it has everything to do with your marriage. It has everything to do with how you work for Jesus' sake. It has everything to do with how to honor your parents to live a life of integrity. It has everything to do with valuing life in the womb. And it has everything to do with Christianity. The Bible says it. Jesus taught it. And so we lay hold of these truths today to get some help to live the Christian life and really make progress in growth, in holiness, and getting victory over patterns of sin that have just beat us down week after week, month after month. Because if Jesus crucified it on the cross, if Jesus put a dagger through the impulse and the heartbeat of sin in our lives, then we can have victory over it. And that's what this passage is going to show us. So, firstly, we see in our text that we are debtors. Not to the flesh, but to God, to the Spirit of God. Look at it right here. We are debtors. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. What does he mean there? We are debtors. 
Well, we're reminded of verse 2. What did it say in verse 2? But that the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law and the stranglehold of sin and death. So God has set you free. So who are we in debt to? God or our flesh? It may be strange for us to think about being delivered from the slavery of sin to delivered into a relationship where we're serving God joyfully. But the Bible teaches that we are debtors unto God, that we're to live for God, that we're now in Christ. We're now servants of the living God. And it uses the language of servant. It uses the language of living out the truths of gospel hope in your Because you've been delivered from darkness, you can now live putting to death sin. If you try to put to death sin, trying to do it devoid of the Gospel and devoid of the Holy Spirit and devoid of God's power, well, that's what every legalistic religion in the world does. That's what every 12-step program does. As much good as they do, right? They only wash the outside of the cup. The inside is what needs to be clean. The inside is where sin dwells. Your heart is what's infected with sin. And the expression of that comes out in our lives. And Jesus goes for the heart. He's like, don't don't worry about, you know, washing hands when the Pharisees were like, why aren't they washing their hands and doing all that stuff? He's like, it's not the things that you're doing what you know what you're eating or or you know what you're drinking that's defiling you it's sin within your heart out of the heart comes theft and murder and sexual immorality that's where sin is at that's what you need to deal with and jesus has given us a recipe to slay the dragon of sin in our life rather than giving it beefy juicy steaks to eat So we are debtors, not to the flesh, not to serve the taskmaster of the flesh any longer, but to live for God in the newness of the spirit. It's that slavery language. One of the ways I'm helped by thinking about this is in the American Civil War, at the end of the Civil War, Robert E. Lee surrendered in Appomattox, Virginia, right? And the war was officially over. All the slaves were free. But what happened as the northern army went into southern states is they would see former slaves still living like slaves. They were still serving their masters. They didn't know the war had been, uh, that, that victory had been won. They didn't know they were free until the soldiers came in declaring to them that you are free. You do not have to serve these masters anymore. You have been emancipated. And once they heard it, they began to live like free men. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, brothers and sisters, you have been set free. You are now living for God. You're no longer a slave. 
Don't live paying debts to God. You've been paying for sin your whole life. Stop giving it another nickel, another dime. Don't pay into that way of life any longer. Live as a servant of the living God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Live like you know you've been liberated by God. I mean, it's like you can hear the Apostle saying, you don't got to be enslaved to drugs or alcohol or addiction or bitterness or people-pleasing anymore. You don't have to live as a slave of popularity. You don't have to live in... Chronic gossip and bitterness. You have been set free. Be who you are in Jesus. Be who you are in Christ. Live like a free person. Much of the Bible speaks like that. It says, be who you are. You've got to be a Christian before you can live like a Christian. You get that flipped upside down and you perish. You can't try to act like a Christian if you don't have the heart of a Christian because you've never been saved and never got the Spirit in your life. But the Christian is, is, is told, do not live paying debts to that slave master who beat you down for how many ever years that you were living for sin and then God sets you free. Last week we talked about it's like Israel going back to Egypt. We want to just serve Pharaoh. I mean, they were crying out for 430 years. God, deliver us! Please help us! We're enslaved. It's getting hard. People are dying. They get saved, brought out through the Red Sea. I mean, the Red Sea parts. Okay, they see a miracle like that. They're being fed with manna dropping out of heaven, basically, and quail and stuff like that. Pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day. And then they don't go with water for a little bit and they're crying about it. And they want to go back to Egypt to the slavery. But if we're honest, sometimes that's just what we do. Romans 6.6 reminds us of this very same thing. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. It's the same argument. You've been crucified with Christ. Jesus was crucified on your behalf to break the slavery of sin in your life. So now live accordingly. Romans 7.4 says the same thing, except it adds the twist of, you've got a glorious, wonderful, sweet, new master. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another to Him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. That idea is there's a sweet freedom in living for God. The Christian is the freest man of all because he's been set free from the tyranny of sin and the slavery 
that the devil brings, but he's also the servant of all. Because now he begins to bear fruit, serving and loving and and going into difficult places. How many of us are called in here to go into hard places with the truth of God's Word? How many of us are called to go into difficult, heart-wrenching situations with the love of King Jesus? That's the way of the Spirit. There's fruit coming out of our lives. And our Master's yoke is easy and His burden is light. What a privilege it is to know the freedom of being a debtor to God. It's the freest life of all. So we've seen we're to be debtors to the Spirit, not to the flesh. But now let's look at we're called to make war on sin and not be spiritually lazy. So we're called to this active, violent warfare which is the opposite of being lazy and coasting and resting on our laurels. Look at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I find this verse simultaneously encouraging and troubling because Paul is warning Christians in this verse. He's saying to Christians, if you live according to the flesh, you will perish. And he's not talking about just physical death. He's talking about the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. It's a warning that the way of the flesh leads to eternal destruction. And much like Jesus said, if you don't pluck out your eye, you're on your way to hell. Better to pluck out your eye and cut off your hand and enter heaven than to go to hell being careless about sin and living a life of sin. And that raises that question for us because we're hearing the echoes of John Owen, right? If you're not killing sin, sin will be killing you. But we're also wrestling with the question, can I lose my salvation? Is he saying I could lose it? Brothers and sisters, one of the sweetest discoveries of my soul is when you see the warnings of Scripture that are said to Christians, that you don't read them and think, well, I guess I'm just going to give up, right? But you heed them as medicine for your soul, as heavenly blessings to you, as good reminders To seek the Lord. Because ultimately, he's warning Christians that this is the the end of the lives of people who do not live for God. The way of the flesh is death. And he warns Christians, and Christians are helped. Christians are spurred on. Christians have something going on inside them. When they hear Paul talk like, you got to make war on sin, the warrior rises up. And the vigilance to fight just starts to 
glow in you. And the Spirit of God starts talking to you like, I can make war on sin. I cannot allow sin to strangle my life. And he's not going to say, oh, Christian, just do it all by yourself. This is just bootstrap it. Get it done. We're going to fight sin. Me and sin. One on one. Like I'm some kind of Rambo or something, right? No, he's saying in verse 13, put to death sin by what? By the Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But we have to feel the aggressive nature and the seriousness of this battle we're in. You're neck deep in it. You're neck deep in the battle against sin. Every day you wake up, there's a pull to the wrong direction. And the Spirit is inside you to give you fuel and wisdom and guidance and conviction to lead you on a path that would make war on sin. And the saddest reality in the church in America today is there's so little war going on. There's so little battle going on. And there's so much giving in to a cultural sort of cachet of just living ho-hum and not having the life of God empowering you to live differently. So a couple things that help us see this and, and, and help us with this is all through Scripture, we're warned about the, insidian, the, the insidious nature of sin and the danger of it. It's not cute little mice, right? In Genesis 4-7, the Lord says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So I'm often struck with the thought that sometimes we treat sin like it's a kitty, right? It's a cute little kitty. We want to pet it and we play with it and do all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, sin is much more like a raging Bengal tiger that wants to rip our throats out. And that's what this verse is saying, right? Sin is crouching at the door. It's ready to strike. But you must rule over it. And the only way to rule over sin is by the Spirit of God. Galatians 5.24 says the very same things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But if we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So if you're in here today and you're struggling with lying, if you're struggling with deception, if you're struggling with backbiting, if you're struggling with greed, if you're struggling with sexual temptation, if you're struggling with alcohol addiction, if you're struggling with the temptation to live a certain way to appear good before others and people please. And it means sort of renouncing Christianity. This text is reminding us that we need to take a gospel stake and drive it right through the heart of our sin. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh.
How many of us want to get ruthless on our sin? It's really easy to get ruthless when we see the sin of others. But when it comes to our own sin, we get a little bit more soft on it, right? Like, and I know that that's, that's, I'm preaching to myself. But I need to see my sin and have hatred for it. I need to see my sin and be like, I am going to the power of the Spirit take a lance to this thing. Because the biggest enemy in my life is not out there, it's in here. And the power of the Gospel is setting me free day by day from the enslavement of the habit patterns of the flesh. If you knew the Peter Phillips of 20 years ago, you would be shocked. And there's a long way to go. The Christian life is a pilgrimage. Brothers and sisters, do not fall asleep in your Christianity. Live for Jesus making war on your sin. That's what this passage is teaching us. And what did we read in Colossians in our Scripture reading? But put to death. Colossians 3.5 Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So it's not like that stuff is out there. Christians are real people who have been delivered from the domain of darkness, but have pockets of enemy resistance in their hearts and in their lives that day by day the Spirit of God is calling forth Christians to make war on their sin. So when Rambo gets empowered by the Spirit, he does some violence on sin, right? When you see Rambo and there's like every guy in the world against him and he's like, you know, beating him up with his pinky. That's not like our battle with sin, okay? You go at sin in your flesh and you're going to get beat down. How many of us have had times where again and again, We've struggled and succumbed to the same exact thing. And oftentimes it's because we were fighting flesh with fleshly willpower when He calls us to make war on our sin by the power of the Spirit. Look at verse 13 one more time. For if you living according to the flesh, or sorry, if for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's an interesting way to put it. If you put to death the deeds of the body. What does Paul mean by that? What's he saying? Is he, is he saying that the body is evil and the Spirit is good? That was Greek thought at the time. It's like, body bad. So you beat your body up if you want to fight sin. But that's not what he's saying. Paul is helping us see that the body is the vehicle that sin uses. Because Jesus already reminded us, right? Sin begins in the heart. The heart is desperately wicked. You don't just wash the outside. You've got to make your heart clean. Out of the heart arises sin. But where does sin manifest itself that it shows up and you can see it? Well, it comes out in what you say. It comes out of your mouth. Jesus said that just the overflow of what we say in our mouth, there's a whole bunch more in our heart. The, the, the tongue is like a flaming fire that can burn down a forest, James says. 
And with it, we bless our God and we curse our neighbor. Or when we take in through the, the eye gate and our heart becomes ultimately aroused by lust and allurements and the things we've seen and we begin to act things out with our bodies, what is happening? But sin is showing up in the deeds of the flesh. It's things going on inside of us that begin to manifest in what we do and how we behave. So Paul says, put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. And if you want confirmation for this understanding, we see it in Romans chapter 6 and verse 11 and following. Notice he, he brings clarity here in verse 11. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the position of a Christian. Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Verse 12, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Did you see that? He's saying you can let sin reign in your bodies. You can let sin reign in your life. You can go back into slavery and you can present your body as instruments of unrighteousness or you can present your body to God as an instrument of righteousness. Do you see how that's working? In chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for evil, but present yourself to God as those who've been brought from death to life. So we see there's a link between how we live in our bodies and what's going on in our hearts. And Paul is calling us to a different way of living because it's who we are in Christ. If you're a Christian, one of the greatest encouragements in your soul to fight sin is you are no longer in darkness. You're no longer dominated by the flesh. What's six, uh, uh, chapter 6 and verse 14 say? For sin will have no dominion over you since you're no longer under the law of sin, but under grace. You've been crucified with Christ. You're not under that way of living. And the greatest hope for you to live a different way is to know that's not who you are anymore. Have you ever blown it badly and, and you kind of thought to yourself, like, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> who am I? <laughs> like, what, what was I thinking there? And sometimes people say that to you, right? They help you out. Like, what's going on with you? Like, what happened with that? That's not who you are in Christ. Please, please get that. That's not who you are in Christ. Some of you have been dominated by enslaving sin for so long, and it's not who you are in Christ. He's delivered you from darkness. And you need to hear the Word of Christ coming to you today, telling you, you are under grace now. Live in it. And you know how that shows up? You make war on sin. You get 
You get fired up about sin in your own heart and in your own life and you want to put it to death because you want more of Jesus in your life. You know the only way to get more of Christ is to kill sin. Because sin obstructs our view of Jesus. Sin distorts our view of Jesus. You're going to be bored of Jesus if you're in love with sin. You're going to be bored with the Bible if you're in love with sin. One of the easiest ways to see a false profession is just to see a lovelessness for Jesus. When you see in somebody who professes the name of Christ and they have no love for the Bible, no regard for Jesus, and it's just the furniture of life. It's the byproduct of where you were raised and who you were raised and what family. But it's not life inside of you. And Paul is after a heart religion. He's after new life inside you. He's after transformation. He's after something that can deliver you from the darkness of sin. He's after something that can transform your living and your outlook and your whole life from the dominion of sin to begin to live a totally new way. Colossians 3.5. Hear it again and hear it as a Christian who knows he's called to this warfare. You're called to this warfare. Listen to it. Colossians 3.5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You got to put to death sexual immorality. You got to put to death impurity. You got to put to death the passions of the flesh and evil desire and covetousness, wanting other people's stuff. You got to crucify. That's idolatry. And on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk these ways when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. Don't lie to one another. Put off the old practices and put on the new self. Do you realize that Jesus has the power to take a homosexual and totally transform him to make him new and to fight against the same sex attractions that he has and begin to live a different way? And when you see it, there's no other explanation for the power of God at work in that individual. It's a monument of grace. That's why this warfare is so important, because you live different. When people knew you for your whole life and they're like, he's always this way. She's always that way. And now you're living differently because the gospel's taken hold of your heart and you're living like you really care about fighting sin and making much of Jesus. You know what it says to the world out there? This is real. God saves and He changes people and He makes them holy and He makes them more like Jesus and He takes... Lovers of self and makes them lovers of Jesus and lovers of others. He takes people that are just stuck in their sins and he grabs them, brings them out of the pit of despair and makes them new. They're growing in a battle progressively. And you need to understand that Romans 8.13 is a progressive work going on. It's to keep on doing these things. So in verse 13 where it says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live, it's saying keep on putting to death. 
Keep on fighting. Keep on going. Don't give up the fight. And the Spirit of life is right there alongside. The Spirit of life is, is just saying, call out to me. I'm going to give you power. Call out to me. I'm going to help you fight that struggle. Call out to me. I'm going to make your Christianity real. Oh, this is a glorious warfare. You know, everybody likes to see Van Helsing go up to Dracula and take a stake and stab him in the heart. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do in our lives with sin. He'll get you fired up about growing in holiness. I lived many years as a Christian to the in the fight against sin. And for many years, I belly ached because I was struggling. And somebody had to tell me, man, do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Do you know you have the resources of Scripture? Do you know what the sword of the Spirit is? Pick up your Bible and take the sword of the Spirit and do some violence on your sin. Where are you going to get the, the stakes to drive into the heart of sins in your life and besetting sins? But the Bible. That's why it's called the sword of the Spirit. Make war. Killing sin is a way of life. And I'm telling you, it is the most God-glorifying, soul-satisfying, freedom-giving reality. And so if you come in here and you look at a title and you're like, man, make war on sin, and he's talking about kill sin, kill, kill, kill. This is weird. Oh, it's the road to joy. The only thing keeping you in misery and bitterness and discouragement is sin indwelling in your life. Sin in your life, sin in other people's lives, that is what makes the world miserable. We blame the devil for a lot of stuff and he does some messed up stuff, but the Bible puts the premium on us fighting our sin. Romans is much more about talking about how to fight your sin in your life and live for Jesus than it is about calling out imprecatory, like violent prayers against Satan, right? Flee from the devil and, 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 and talk to the devil with the word of God. But you need to know that you got to make war on your own sin. And I need to make war. And I will have a joyless life without the Spirit operating in me to make this fight against sin a daily reality. And so if you don't see the Bible as your lifeline, you get up, you pick up your sword because you know you're going to be fighting today. That's why you've got to read your Bible every day. Not only do you want to know God, but this is how you fight sin. And you remember this, this work of God and, 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 and this vigilant effort in Philippians chapter 2 when we went through Philippians. The same idea. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you the willing and doing 
of his good pleasure. You better believe the spirit stands at the ready saying, let's go fight this battle. And he will empower you to fight sin. So how can we get practical in this fight? How can we get practical in this reality? What are the weapons the Spirit uses? We've talked about one already. What is it? The Spirit uses the Word of God. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6. What does Ephesians 6 say? Take up the full armor of God, right? You've got to take up the full armor of God and make war against the principalities and powers of darkness. And then in verse 17, he says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. you got to know every time you pick up this Bible, it is a Spirit-drenched Word. And the sword comes with power. And any work and surgery in your soul is going to happen through the Word of God. Any power that's going to be unleashed to overcome sin in your life is going to happen through the Word of God. All, all The reason I stand up and preach every week is because when we proclaim this book, lives change. When we proclaim this book, God shows up. When we proclaim this book, people are delivered from sin. When we proclaim this book, people get saved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So you want to do battle in your life, you pick up the Word of God and you eat and you drink. It's your lifeblood. And it is a great weapon for us to wield against sin in our lives and also against the satanic opposition around us. But notice in verse 18, we have one more weapon the Spirit gives us. In verse 18 of uh, Ephesians 6, we're to pray in the Spirit. Do you see that? Praying in the Spirit at all times for all peoples. And then Paul's going to say, hey, pray that I have boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel. So you want to pray like you know you're doing battle. You want to pray like a soldier knowing that you're summoning the power of God to work in you. You want to pray on Wednesdays like you know, hey, we're in a fight and we're in a battle and we're calling the, the cover fire from heaven to cover ourselves as we live in this world that is beset by all sorts of evil. And you look at the world around you and you say, darkness. But the power of the Spirit, when we pray, and when we pray in the Spirit, you get encouragement to deal with the real you as well. You can be discouraged by a failure in sin, and you come to God. You come before the throne of grace and you get help knowing that God loves to, loved us so much. He demonstrates his love towards us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And you come to God knowing that he brings healing balm from the wounded and weary soldier in battle. So don't grow weary in the battle. Don't grow weary in the fight. You have the word of God and you have the spirit of God and you have prayer 
And the Romans 8 will make clear that the Holy Spirit's praying for you. The perfect will of God. And Jesus is interceding night and day before the throne of God on behalf of us as Christians. We have a glorious hope to fight the battle in the Christian life. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. Know you're a debtor unto God and live for him. Know that there's power in the spirit to fight sin. And here, John Owen, once again, if you're not killing sin, sin will be killing you. But Jesus is the one who deals the death blow of sin. And if he has crucified sin on the cross for you, then you can crucify the remnants of sin in your life, fighting it in the power of the spirit, putting to death the deeds of the body so that you might live. Let's pray. Father God, these truths, two verses, have the power to really change our lives if we take them in, if we take drink, if we take and eat, if we study your word and believe it. Father, help us to become warriors in this battle. Help us to become a people who are so in love with Jesus that we want to make war on anything in our own hearts that would seek to lead us away from a deeper walk with Jesus. And all to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all to him. Nothing in this hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Father, would you help us now to cling to you and to get battle ready to go out into this world fighting sin in our own lives and fighting the principalities of darkness by the power of your spirit and your word. In Jesus' name, amen.